Veterans have lost trust in the government because they saw how awful serving it was. They've seen shithole countries and it helps them keep things in perspective, like the, the importance of saving and long-term thinking. And then just kind of the peaceful nature of Bitcoin is, I think is attractive to veterans who come out of it so often burned out. Hey everybody, this is the High Hash Rate Podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. And this podcast is just two plebs getting high and talking about Bitcoin, life, and the absurdity of the fiat world. Our guests don't necessarily get high with us and you don't have to either. But it helps. Okay, and welcome back to High Hash Rate with Dan and Mike. Um, why do you why do you always why do you lately always do the um, like the AM DJ the AM radio, radio? or AF, you know, FM radio DJ uh, voice? It's like, it's an ir- ironic twist because okay, we're not yeah. obviously not in the AM, but uh, yeah, you know, you you want to as a podcaster, you want to yeah, that's why it's sound, ironic, you want to sound more AM podcasting but that's uh, we're definitely Anyways. not sounding very, anyway t- yeah, tonight tonight we have on a guest i know very little about but i would love to hear more uh reached out to us uh stimmy uh stimmy how you doing good hey thanks for having me on how are you guys doing good Fantastic. and if, if you're listening to this and you've probably seen him he's been on on, on bitcoin twitter for uh a couple of years now part of different uh meme factions and gangs so like what's your twitter handle yeah it's uh basics your, your persona s-i-x hodl um it's because it's my sixth account but yeah the uh profile is stimmy mostly because the stimmies in the covid era were what radicalized me that's what radicalized you all right so what did your uh what is your you know your background, like, what do you do for a living? Like, how did you get to the, what, what, what were, what kind of person were you before that, uh, radicalization? Oh gosh. Uh, ancient history there, but, um, no, and we, it's interesting. We talked briefly about some of my military background. Um, so mm-hmm. I was in the army for 10 years, um, four in the guard, six active duty, Got into Bitcoin around 2014 and kind of just bought some after the Gox crash as like a speculation before a deployment. Just thought, hey, I'm not spending this on anything else. Um, just well let this ride for a few months, see what happens. Um, so that was my foot in the water. And then... You're, you're buying Bitcoin yeah. in, in the military? Yeah. Yeah, that's when okay, I started. Okay, okay. Um kind of had a background like in college studying econ kind of hated it because it was Keynesian um Bitcoin just seemed cool being uncorrelated I'd kind of played with stocks a little bit as a young guy Uh, were you a gold guy a gold bug actually I wasn't until I got into Bitcoin and then I said oh you know what gold is kind of a similar idea maybe I should have a little bit of both um Thank God I grew out of that eventually, but yeah, did the military thing, got out, shit, six what was years the, ago already. What was your what was detail? Your detail? What was your, sure. your job in the military? Yeah, so I joined um, the Guard as an enlisted forward observer. Um, didn't really have connections to the military, so I wasn't sure if it was going to be a great fit or if I would stay in it. So that was kind of like the minimum investment. But then I uh, 
did fairly well, enjoyed it. Uh, went on to active duty as a tanker in the infantry. Um, ended up advising Afghan cops. Came back, switched to intelligence, and went back uh, as an intel guy. So, yeah, that was fun. Formative years for sure. And did you you did deployments to Afghanistan? Yeah, so both times, um, <laughs> actually closed a couple of bases my first deployment down in southeastern Afghanistan and went back to one of those and reopened it, helped rebuild it. So Is that in Kandahar? Uh, now down guard, oh, Paktia by Gardez. Okay, okay. Yeah, so nice little region. Uh, we had about seven provinces we were responsible for, about six million Afghans and somewhere was in the neighborhood it- of like 20 terrorist groups. Was it, uh, was it, how would you compare, because I've always been curious about this and you, you might actually know, like the, the action and the hostilities and just the, the, the way that the, the U.S. military, you know, the relationship or their experience with the people in that part of Afghanistan versus if you were like a kind of up in the north where it was like a much different ethnic like group it wasn't the Pashtuns it was like these you know northerners from like Tajikistan and such and they were it was like totally different vibes right in the north and the south oh for sure yeah it's crazy how like just a difference of 20-30 miles sometimes can make a complete change in the security situation and governance um yeah where I spent all my time was among the Gilzai Pashtuns kind of a disenfranchised tribal confederation in the so east were they like not like super influential or close with the, the taliban well they were tightly integrated with the taliban but they didn't have a ton of power at the national level going back to call it 1740s when okay. Ahmed shah durrani took the throne but yeah the guys in the east were known for centuries to be kind of the the war fighters of the Afghan people. Gotcha. So like the Haqqani network and mm-hmm. Al Qaeda types there in the East. So it was a weird mix. And then the, the local populace was pretty supportive of the insurgency for the most part. Although we had some pretty big cities that were more aligned with the Kabul government. How like, uh, how long, how many, you know, months uh, total would you say that you spent over there? And how many like trips did you have to take or deployments? Yeah, just the two trips, about 15 months total. And okay. those were my only deployments in the military. So it was kind of nice that I got to go to the same place and build some expertise between those two. When you, growing up where you grew up, you know, and the time that you did, um, and you said like you didn't really have um, a, a real connection to the army. So you know, what were your expectations, you know, when you went into the service and when you got over there and you were among like these, like the centuries old war fighters from the Southern Afghanistan region, right? Like it's so much different than your life growing up. Like, were you prepared for that? Did it startle you? Did it, did that like just totally open your eyes to like, wow, this like such, uh, you know, internet era, uh, you know, information age, like the United States kind of at peaking living in the Midwest to boom here. Like how did that jolt you to the real world, so to speak? Yeah, it's, it was super eye opening. Um, it was my first time traveling abroad 
to any meaningful extent, but same. Um, yeah. When I went, when I was, when I went in the air force, same, roughly the same nice. time, same experience. Yeah. 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 It was, I mean, it was weird. It was like both super foreign, but then familiar in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, surprisingly. Yeah. And being from the Midwest and growing up on a family farm, I think was kind of an advantage in terms of understanding such an agrarian society. Mm. Their, their reliance on the rain, for example, was familiar. And, um, I think that kind of helped build relationships with some of the Afghan cops that I worked with. Really? So, yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. Those Afghan cops, like the people that you did work with, did they, uh, what did it seem like that relationship was like? Was it was it because that you know we, they were essentially getting paid by the United States and uh, we would just kill them, you know, if they fought back? Or was it um, did you did you like form legit connections with anybody over there? Um, I'd say the legit connections were few and far between. Sure. Um, yeah, the corruption was endemic. The guys we worked with had been used to working with Americans for quite a few years by that point. This was the end of Operation Enduring Freedom. Um, so they had played the game enough. They knew how to keep us happy so that we would keep the money and bombs flowing. Um, but then there were some legit, credible people whose heart was in the right place, but they tended not to be in the positions of greatest influence. So, yeah, super corrupt, as everybody would expect. And, and corrupt in the way where what they're... Uh they're accepting money for things that they shouldn't be or what, what in what way are they corrupt? Well, it was what we could see. It was pretty broad. Um, they would sell the fuel and ammo that we gave them to the Taliban. Um, they would feed information back and forth from the Taliban for money. Um, kind of sweep some, misbehavior of their own guys under the rug um did did you ever get over there and have a moment where like because these people are so you know if when you get over there for the first time at that at those you know those years you see how old and ancient it is and like how like you said agrarian and like they they barely have you know any modern anything especially down in that part of afghanistan um where you just you maybe kind of took it for granted that they might be dumb or they might not be as savvy as the U S military. And then you were caught off guard about, you know, you underestimated them. Not really. I know that's a, that's an easy trap. And I think a lot of people, maybe most fall into it. I guess I was lucky enough to have a company commander for a mentor who had been to that province before too. Um, helped us shape some expectations like, shared examples of how literacy was so low yet everybody had two smartphones in their pockets with four SIM cards and <laughs> solar panels to charge them because they had no grid or fuel for their generators. But yeah, I mean, obviously like cultures differ, but people are generally just as smart or dumb throughout the world as our own population. That, um, that points out to me that it's like, it doesn't matter uh, how educated you are. Like you can be very dumb, but most people are very, very in tune with the lines of communication and way to get in and out and, and to talk with people and to, and to distribute their message. They're very smart in this kind of sense. It's interesting. 
Um, well, yeah, it's also, you know, the more access to technology and uh, uh, comforts and stuff like, honestly, probably the less. Uh, so the dumber you get. <laughs> yeah, the dumber you get, the least. Well, well, yeah, that's, you oh, that's interesting. So you, can, you basically offload your experience or you offload your memory onto these external tools and these external right. or me- memory banks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, uh, anyway, yeah. that's a to- totally different thread. I, I, so go ahead. I wanted to ask about your tanker background, this, this tanker job. This is kind of interesting because I, I don't know. I've never met. I was in the Air Force as well and as a, as a fucking plumber. So I, <laughs> I have very limited context of like, uh, military men that actually, and women who actually did uh, like military jobs. So, uh, I, I'm interested what that looks like. What does that, what does that training look like? What does that, um, a day to day operation look like? And then in Afghanistan, something like that, like, what does that look like? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's, you're going to get amused here by the commonality with the air force and just the gross misallocation of human resources inside the military because um, it's expensive to drive tanks around and fire the main gun and you know get the reps in that it would take for somebody to operate one of those or command a platoon um, but I thought it was an attractive job so that's what I requested when I commissioned and I got it um, so yeah just six months of training in Georgia um, a lot of fun running around the woods and then when it came time to pick a duty station I chose Fort Hood now I guess it's Fort Cavazos, Texas, because at the time it had four armored brigades. So I had a pretty good shot of getting a tank platoon or a reconnaissance platoon. Then I ended up in the infantry without tanks or recon. So I was a uh, baby tank platoon leader with the striker mobile gun system um, in an infantry battalion. And then we knew we were deploying, but it was kind of like a couple of years of reset after an Iraq deployment that you had gone to and I missed. So yeah, we just trained through the reset prep for the deployment. My tankers ended up going to Cuba and then my platoon sergeant and I went to Afghanistan as well. He was like the fob mayor and then I was an advisor. So used all that super expensive training to just throw it in the trash. Did, when you were these fobs and you said you like opened an area and, and you know, shut bases down, is this uh how how forward were you like how far out into the the you know disconnect from a major military base where you could get surrounded and cut off from everybody else like were you in one of those like restrepo style no certainly yeah certainly much different by that i would say i was there about like the bottom of the seventh inning of the afghan war so by that late in the game the bases were pretty hardened pretty well developed um i mean there was distance like we were probably a 30-minute helicopter ride from Fob Shank um, in Logar, which was a an airbase, fairly sizable. Um, but it also closed. Um, so then after that, we were about 45 minutes to an hour from Kabul and Bagram. Um, so we were still within the golden hour. And we had probably 500 people on the base. So it was... We had enough bodies to defend the walls if it ever came to that. The... Um... It's, it's just crazy talking about this because like what I did in the Air Force, like our main mission over Afghanistan, but this was like 2006 to 2010. Um, we would fly over Afghanistan and, and, and 
we would constantly be in contact um, and uh, working to support guys in these fobs who they were getting overrun. They were getting like cut off from the rest of the military, like by the transportation routes and everything like that. Um, and we would we would listen in on their on the Taliban or whoever they would be talking on their push to talk radios or whatever they had for communication with each other. Um, and we would just fly in circles over it. And then after, you know, enough communication, somebody would translate what they were talking about. The linguist on the plane, uh, they would have geolocated them. So like either air support could come in or like the, the fob could like, you know, use some artillery or something to take them out. Uh, cause they were like hiding up in the mountains, like just shooting down at them or coming out of nowhere at night. So we were constantly like we would we'd fly these like 14 hour missions. And then like in the last 20 minutes, we'd get a call a tick, a troop in contact where they need support. So we just have to fly around for like maybe six more hours until everything was good. It's like a 20 some hour flight every third day. <laughs> Yo, what you know what? Dis, what are you doing during that entire time, Dan? So like, what, are great. you playing so like my, Game no, Boy? My, what's, what's going on? Yeah, my job was to like make sure that all that equipment all the computer systems intel systems worked and most of the time they did the i was mostly the electronic warfare officers like uh you know flying air you got like six screens in front of you sort of bullshit yeah right right <laughs> and uh and sometimes it was like crazy and stressful but like i would say 75 plus percent of the time everything just it worked like it didn't fail it didn't need to be uh, rebooted or like have like you know hardware replaced it just worked so i'd be up there for 14 15 hours just bored out of my fucking mind <laughs> because we had one screen on in my job and that, and that one screen was four players on call of duty that's what my that one screen i wish we could do that we, for uh, fucking we would, ever we would intercept the the signal coming back from the predator drones and the reapers and we would just like watch their feed on our screen because it was like we our plane was like picking up all those signals and it, we called it predator porn we were just watching the predators just fucking blow motherfuckers up <laughs> Wild. In real time, just insane. Yeah, it was before our like so, uh, insane reality vids on Twitter. So, Stimmy, your 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 experience to me sounds so much. You know what captures this kind of experience so much, and I think we could all speak to this. Is have you seen Jarhead? Yeah, yeah. Actually, just uh, thought about that movie a little while ago. That was a pretty good one. Generation it's Kill like, on HBO is a great one too. It's like this this dude trains has this entire training you see it throughout the entire film how you know that the heavy kind of life that he has he's training for this one moment he's a sniper right and he goes to kill like not to be to spoil the thing but it's it's a movie that's pretty old so he goes to kill you know he all of his training he puts all of his training forward to kill this one you know high level person and moments before he makes the kill <laughs> He, the fucking thing just gets blown up and yeah. and he to totally removes him of of his job basically like removing him of his entire experience and and decimating all that that work that he had done all that build up yeah it's i love that and that's so true like i mean there was kind of a saying in the army that combat is 99 percent soul crushing boredom and one percent mm, sheer yeah. terror yeah. And I, you know what i just thought about that's similar to bitcoin Right, you know, it's ninety nine percent of the oh, time yeah. it's crab market or it's fifty eight k, and then or it's bear, and then yeah, it's that one percent of the time it just absolutely rips. Um, and everybody like during the boring times, like 
all of it okay. is like anticipation and uh like yeah you know it, mm-hmm. when you're when you're new when you're inexperienced right you're you're checking conditions every day oh, you're yeah. checking your phone every five minutes man like you're waking up in the middle of the night you're like what's going on what's the price like what? and then after a while you're just you just got to be ready so you're just sitting around fucking around with your friends until it hits again until it goes till shit hits the fan again exactly so and i mean but but like, that standard go ahead uh, no, I was going to say, uh, by that standard, it's like uh, the markets are basically like a war zone. In, in a way. <laughs> yeah. In, in a way, way, yeah. Sorry to cut you off. No, you're good. I was trying to chase down a thought there too, but. Uh, I have a tendency funny, to, funny parallel to cut people off. Come up with- <laughs> no, yeah. So it's it, the, the other thing is like when you're doing that or going through that, like the camaraderie is like you get back and you, you just don't get that in the real world. And so like you can do jujitsu, that's, you get some of it there and you can find these little niche communities where there's, everybody shares like that, you know, soul crushing boredom and like just uncertainty and they just figure out a way to get through it because they know when she hits the fan, it's going to be, you know, sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's scary. Sometimes it's terrifying, but it's a thrill. Yeah, for sure. Uh, did you ever send a transaction out there? Like a Bitcoin from, transaction for Afghanistan? Yeah. yeah. No, no. No, I should have. I was too much of a noob and had the sats on Coinbase so that, you know, I didn't really sure. have them. They never you know, Wait, you were in Afghanistan when you were buying Bitcoin in Afghanistan? No, no, that's part of my story, actually, is I couldn't. So I missed the 2017 bull run because oh. I was deployed. Oh, and, dude, that would suck. So uh, that'd be, that'd be yeah. like you're at home. That'd be like a you're at home. And yeah. you're all your your whole units in Afghanistan that get ambushed, and you're not there. You're missing it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I I was aware it was ripping, but Dude. Coinbase didn't like my VPN, and I was too busy uh, to really figure it out. And dude, you know, they think the Taliban's trying to get fucking Bitcoin during the bull run. Of course, <laughs> they're gonna say no. Yeah, and like, Amazing. I mean, you guys, you guys get it. Like when you're on that twenty hour flight, Dan, like you don't have time to be. Checking right. shit back home. Right. I mean, it's people talk shit about. I had Air to check Force MySpace in my day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. People talk shit about like Air Force deployments, but you're still away from home, and you got to focus on a job. So it's yeah, it's kind of hard to yeah learn for a whole sure. Lot still in uniform. Uh, how, how are you getting into Bitcoin during this time? What's that? What does that look yeah. like? Yeah. So I guess after like the first deployment, I knew I still had it. Um, but it was in that bear market until 2016, it started to kind of turn up again. By that point I was just heads down focused on the job. So I, I didn't pay attention to it till after I got out, which was 2018. So during the dump then I started buying again. Were other um, members of the military doing it as other people in your shop or anything? They were like, how yeah, are you hearing about all this? Yeah. So I, I guess I heard about it in college i want to say it was around the wired article in maybe 2011 um and then because i was in econ and really just focused mostly on rotc like prepping for the military like i didn't give a shit about college so i didn't take it seriously right so then the second yeah the second touch point was the mountain gox dump 2013 14 so a, a buddy and i had kind of been watching the news and we kind of traded stocks a little bit and we both just started talking about Bitcoin. I kind of forget who initiated it, but 
we both ended up just saying, yeah, hell yeah, we'll buy it and see how it does while we go. So you have it just sitting there on Coinbase and you're in a, in Afghanistan, basically. Yeah. So okay. it was, yeah. And, uh, uh, you used to, used to be a forward observer and you used to be a tanker. And, uh, so I guess now you're a lumberjack farmer in the Midwest. Is that what you do? <laughs> I wish dude. No, I'm stupid little office slave working for money that they print. So I mine fiat in the enemy camp at a bank. Um, but I do like IT and project management and data analytics. So at least you're I don't not have like, to like you're, you're not go the out one. and yeah, you're shill not the, one. the shit coins. You're not the one that's like destroying the, um, like the community, just loading people up with debt, subprime lenders, stuff like that. You're just keeping their computers running. Basically. Yeah. And that I feel okay about it because it's a cool team that I work with. And then our customers are mostly farmers. Like farming has kind of always been about leverage. I mean, right. There you go. That's earth. that's a great connection. Like finance and farming, like interest rates come from coming or yield, excuse me, can like the term coming from like giving somebody back seeds, more more seeds than they, they lent you. What's the like is that is there like older more is there more I don't know, different kinds of traditions or different just kind of ways of, of the way finance and farming work in the Midwest compared to the, obviously it's very different, but like even the Chicago commodities exchange or New York stock exchange. Yeah. I think there are a couple things about farming, at least in the Midwest and it'd be common for other places too, but you know, people kind of understand your return on investment is low. Like it takes a long time with land prices mm -hmm. broken by the fiat system and the money inflating away. I mean, yeah, farmers pay pretty close attention to interest rates for their operations, whether it's right. replacing equipment or buying land. And then I think something that's really underappreciated is how important the insurance industry is to farmers. Right. Which is kind of messed up. The crop insurance system is all subsidized. Um, but farmers' livelihoods really do depend on the weather. And if they have bad weather events, if they can share that risk and at least feed the kids for another year. Right. They, mean, um, they have to, they're just, they're trying to, it's crazy. Like they're just trying to survive. Yeah. Um, and these, the insurance companies who are the ones who are, you know, supposed to be supporting them, like they're doing great. The insurance companies yeah, are doing great. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. If only farmers had better money. Totally. So, uh all of that the conversation about your your history um is a good segue to this piece that you're writing this is something i was interested about that i wanted to uh, wanted you to kind of get into so you sort of are linking veterans to bitcoin in a way I'm, and uh, i'm curious as to how that is are you linking them on chain or is it uh ordinals? <laughs> yeah i mean i have to link them on chain because coin joining is likely illegal now um, yeah yeah no yeah it was um it was super interesting to hear your talk on high hash rate with rambo earlier this year and you guys got to talking about like why do so many veterans grok bitcoin and i agree with the things you guys identified like that veterans have lost trust in the government because they saw how awful serving it was 
Um, they've seen shithole countries and it helps them keep things in perspective, like the, the importance of saving and long-term thinking. Um, and then just kind of the peaceful nature of Bitcoin is, I think is attractive to veterans who come out of it so often burned out. And I think I would add a couple of things to that before I kind of touch on the essay too. I would just say veterans for the most part are driven by purpose from a young age. Um, they may not have it all figured out at 18 when they enter or at 22 when they exit, but generally that habit of seeking purpose, I think sticks with people. Um, and I just think that it's easy enough for folks who see the peaceful utility of Bitcoin. Um, it's a worthy purpose because it is, I mean, it's, it's a peaceful revolution. So I think for, I think that's something that kind of pulls folks into the rabbit hole a little deeper. And then, um, got to thinking too about like Russell Okung was a really good voice for athletes adopting Bitcoin because they break their bodies and they lose earnings potential. And I think the exact phenomenon, the exact same phenomenon happens with veterans that they break their bodies, they break their minds and spirits in too many cases and end up entering the civilian workforce with reduced earnings potential. So having a superior form of savings, I mean, even if it's just DCAing a few dollars a month, like every bit helps. So I think those, those are kind of things that help pull folks like me down the rabbit hole. You know, it's just not to interrupt too much, but to get kind of back to the, one of the points we were making about all the 99% downtime. That's, a, that's another thing the veterans, depending on how long you're in, uh, at least from my perspective, it was a lot, especially during deployments, it felt like I was, you know, almost wasting my life. It was just, I was waiting for my enlistment to end. So there's just this productivity and this, like, uh, it really boils down to like the self-expression and this uh, freedom to kind of do whatever you want because you haven't been able to, like your life's so controlled and just the, the self-determination that you feel when you come out of it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I know nothing's as scarce as Bitcoin, but maybe the comfort of a DD214 comes close. Yeah. Yeah. And then that letter that you're, um, your reserve like status where they can still call you back even though you don't do any other reporting when that passes irr yeah. that's what it's called yeah yeah for sure i mean the freedom piece is huge and sorry mike i, I think i was cutting you off there no i didn't actually have any i i did think i was thinking about something you said about seeking purpose about the the members of the military joining these people you know these young kids joining uh and they're doing it to seek to seek purpose and I'm, I was, I'm thinking like, who, what, what does that take to, what does that take inside of a human being to like seek purpose? Like, and, and the ones that don't, like, what do they become? It, it also makes me think a little bit about, um, I don't know why, but Starship Troopers. I don't know if you guys know anything about Starship Troopers. <laughs> um, but the, okay. So in the book by Robert Heinlein, Star, Starship Troopers, the, there's, you know, a, a battle between military members and bugs. But the, the main takeaway from that book is that uh, all the people who are allowed to vote in this society have joined the military. Like that's their, you, you get the right to vote by joining the military. And this, just this idea of seeking purpose, uh, having the right, having rights given to you, or it's like this, by going through hard work, 
you know, you're suddenly and breaking yourself, I guess you're suddenly opening yourself for, um, some kind of, you know, euphoria. Yeah, well, euphor- I don't know. I, don't, I was going to add on to that, uh, was, is that the, when you comes to this, the sense of purpose and the looking for something or whatever, the, at least in my experience, I, and I'll give you a chance to, I guess, ex- explain how it opened your eyes. But I, I kind of led the question when I started about how different everything was when you first get over there um, as a young person, you know, in the military, in this foreign land, right? And so you have the sense of purpose and you're putting so much at risk and it it's so serious. Everything's on the line. The stakes are high. And then through this experience of being in the military, you realize that the sense of purpose and like the the motivation and like the everything that you were fighting for literally um, is really was sold to you is much different than reality. And then you have to come to grips with like, holy shit. Um, is, is this really like, is, is what I'm doing right now really my, the purpose in life for me or like what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean like it's the, the hero's journey going out into the real world for the first time. The real world provides plenty of feedback very quickly. And, it, and it's an, and it's, it's self. And yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like kind of back to Mike's question too, I think people's ability to either update their sense of purpose, refine it, dump it in, entirely i think a lot of that comes with the humility or grit or intelligence whatever it is but just to accept the world's feedback as it is and unfortunately not everybody has that and so when their purpose is challenged it maybe is out of reach for them to incorporate that feedback and then it it kind of breaks the soul to some extent no it it makes me think like when you talk about that link of veterans to bitcoin and it makes me think of like i said when you you get fooled by um that image of what your country is what your life is what your heritage is you when you get rug pulled by the by that dream a little bit even if it's not like if it doesn't make you like totally bitter but it's just it opens your eyes it's very revealing um you have like a a a desire to want to have some sort of peg to reality. It's almost like the movie um, with Leonardo DiCaprio where they're, they're going to inception, and the, but they have that little like thing that he keeps as long as it's spinning on the table, he knows he's still in a dream having that some, that signal that you can attach to like, this is real. Like you're looking for something like that instead of like a facade, the fiat system. Well, I, I mean, I certainly, I certainly got the the sense that I was, I mean, looking back on it now, especially after getting into Bitcoin, like uh, I got the sense that I'm like I was fighting for a meme in a way. This this like this exactly. fiat dollar system, you know, you're like this whole operation and apparatus is is to secure <laughs> this fucking meme it well it's yeah like, so i guess back to my point is the the dollar right the dollar is that symbol and every time they devalue it and you experience like that it lets you down the system lets you down it gets a little bit less valuable and it, you, a little less i don't know you just stop trusting it 
Yeah. The fiat meme really sucks. Even though the Fed's on TikTok now, I doubt the meme is going to get any better. Totally. Um, so what... Uh, you said you hadn't started writing your article yet. Like, what stage are you in? Have you written anything before? Yeah, so it's, I actually have written a chunk of the article, and I can touch on it. Um, I'm also writing a book. Been working on that for, I'd say, consistently six months. Um, kind of started it four years ago. Um, probably won't get into the book, because it might be connected to my Norway name or a pen name I haven't decided, but... In terms of this essay, it really just came similar to like the shitty memes I make. It's just an idea that comes up and got to think a way of getting it out there. And this essay came about when I started to recognize I had made some progress against post-traumatic stress. And I recognized that Bitcoin was part of that. Um, kind of blew my mind. And that's really what the essay is about is how Bitcoin is good for the veteran soul. It at least has the potential to be. Because um, the way we, you know, the way the Bitcoin revolution works is individuals choose to use it or not. They can run the software. Um, and then eventually those individuals start to aggregate into their communities and further. Similarly, like challenges of mental health begin with individuals. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, I, it gives you um optimism and something to uh you know an incentive to improve and have a better future like something to look forward to that's at least a start right it's like a new sense of purpose yeah that's exactly one of the three points i would i would make in my essay um which i'm hoping to have out like on noster by veterans day maybe oh, on nice. the 11th i'll drop it um yeah i mean that's, I think, one of the first things that stood out to me is that Bitcoin shifted my time preference. Um, Post-traumatic stress and depression that a lot of veterans have comes from dwelling on the past in some extent, um, having challenges resolving previous traumas. Um, and like for me, I noticed fairly early after getting out of the military that I'd have like flashbacks that would just shut me down for a day or two at a time. Like it could be something small, like smelling a diaper and being reminded of the smell inside a body bag that was occupied. Um, and it would be a mental connection out of my conscious control. So throughout the process of learning about Bitcoin, I kind of was able to move past that past and present fixation and begin thinking about the future begin making plans like okay how do I secure these sats okay well I need to run a node how do I coordinate my own transactions using my own node how do I drive entropy and it, it pulled me into the present um, it made you curious about things yeah made me hopeful for the future too I mean it's it's that combination of yeah focusing on learning since Bitcoin is unfamiliar to most people, um, or it's at least such a radical shift from the past. I mean, folks, for the most part, have to focus to learn. That gets their mind in the present. 
then once they've grokked it, they begin to think about its potential and they become future oriented, which allows that hope. So it's, it's, it's crazy how the incentives that result or, you know, are baked into a piece of, uh, laptop beta software can, can get people, communities, you know, an entire network to align and just kind of through following the, those similar, you know, incentives as it extrapolates out to their life, uh, just creates different habits. You, like you mentioned the, the time preference thing, it's like, it transforms you into looking for savings and efficiency and like a, a drive and a pursuit to do that because you can see results and improvements as you do it. Yeah. And then before you know it, you're selling your chair exactly. to buy sats. Um, I don't need chair. Do you, this, this conversation made me think of the question, do you think there's a con connection between Bitcoin and honor? Like the honor of a veteran or the, the, the honor of a man, you know, going to battle. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think about it in the sense of the sats I buy today, the ability to transact on chain for so cheap. Um, that'll mean something in the future when it's harder for kids and grandkids to buy as many sats with these fiat shit coins or, you know, to just straight earn it. The amount they earn are not going to be as great as some of those smash buys in previous cycles. Um, so yeah, I mean, maybe there's some honor in, in creating a legacy. Um, cause I think before Bitcoin, that's what folks wanted to do as well. Whether it was an agrarian society, they wanted to pass on land or, or an urban society, they wanted to pass on education and business ownership. Right. Um, what the, what's your connection? Like how many, um, other veterans have you met, um, through this community? Um, I mean, I've seen you at Bitblock Boom, like, so I know you like to go to some, um, you know, at least some conferences, some meetups. Uh, how's that going? Are you connecting with a lot of people? I mean, it's, yeah, it's kind of mind blowing to see the number of vets, like talking with you guys, seeing folks on Twitter, um, like my boy, John DiGiacomo, I think he was in the core, um, but then we kind of had a shared interest in mining and, you know, kind of started shit posting together but yeah i mean it's just mind-blowing the number of vets that start to come across compared to just like the number of vets i know in the community is quite a bit lower it just yeah it just occurred to me like once you see the once you see that fiat lie or i guess or that um that sort of apparatus up close especially you i mean it sounds like to me that you really really saw that apparatus up close you really crave, as you mentioned, the the grounding to reality, this truth. And so it makes you much more attuned to, you know, looking for that, whether it be God or, you know, whether it be some sort of work itself, you know, proof of work, like jujitsu or surfing or whatever it is. Like we, we always, you always meet these kinds of folks as, and veterans. It just seems like 
because you get exposed to this thing uh, right up front and you you want the exact opposite of what it what what that is yeah truth is is so cool to like see this global consensus using proof of work and just know that it it's a self-correcting system it gets better with time it gets stronger it gets more resistant to attack even if there are some additional things hopefully our our distributed review process keeps consensus consensus mechanisms and the hard cap assured um yeah i mean veterans know all about betrayal um they know all about shitty leadership and um and how consensus there is is top down versus this peer-to-peer thing is is very attractive to have the exact opposite like the story of catch 22 very man very i've read i read that in the military very good book to read while you're in the military that's a funny one too because it's it's army like classic the army is probably the most fucked up culturally and then it's army air corps specifically so right it uh it gets into the origins of the your beloved air force (laughs) (laughs) um stimmy no go ahead you got something I was going to go for uh, the oh, aspects yeah, yeah. question. That's what I was going to say. So I guess we've we've go kind of it. talked about like uh, how it's helped you. Uh, they're going to help you and, and positively affect your life. But if you were to narrow it down to what aspect or what feature uh, is what uh, drew you in or kind of what what led you to the path that you're on now? Is that like still, what is that? Is that still uh, what you think about or is there is something else uh, have you discovered about it that fascinates you? Yeah, no, I think, um, I think the thing that drew me into the rabbit hole um, was learning about the difficulty adjustment specifically. Because I was loosely familiar with the having cycle um but really learning about the difficulty adjustment made concrete in my mind how the 21 million hard cap is enforced and i think that is still fundamental to my belief in bitcoin is that it remains and is actually getting more credible at enforcing that hard cap over time right it- I just wanted to add to that real quick like the when you hear about you know this technology that's unhackable or that there's the limit that can't ever be overcome um you, you kind of think you're very susceptible you're susceptible or uh, skeptical you're like you can somebody can hack it like there's something that you can do it's just software people write software and then you get yeah. to the, the difficulty adjustment and it starts you start to try to figure out how you would game that or how you would trick it that's what everybody talks about like the the adversarial thinking and the 51 percent attacks because you just obsess over like how you could break this thing how you could overcome it how you could change it how you could be somebody could figure it out and hack it and destroy it and then you it's years later sometimes or months or whatever and you're like oh my god there is no way and the only way it would be so expensive it just wouldn't work right like that's that's what that's what sent me down the spiral 
Nice. Yeah. How about for you, Mike? What what uh, aspect sent you down? And I guess same question to you: Is it the same aspect today? I mean, it, it was the money of it, you know, that drew me down originally because I was and still am a fiat slave. Uh, but um, <clears throat> I think what I started to think about the most was, and I, I've mentioned this before, is the, the memory aspect of it. So the fact that you can tie things to an external source f- that everyone can see and it's all true, and it becomes a collective memory. And that's really, really interesting to think about. It's this it's like this thing that we can all refer back to as if it's the ground, you know, it's as if, as if it's gravity or as if it's some kind of, um, I don't know, Dan has better words in these kinds of situations. Um, yeah, you're, <laughs> as if it's you're the, focus, you're creating you're, an anchor to focus people's attention at a moment in time. Anchor. Thank you. Anchor. Yeah. <laughs> it's the anchor. Yeah. It's, it is the anchor. Yeah. Your, your boat is, is, on a, a ocean of fiat and it's the fucking you're, anchor you're able that, to communicate with everybody that's you know objectively beyond translation what reality what you mean what you're saying when you say this then where that you know journalism even and you can always just like go you can go back in you know essentially hypothetically you can go back in time infinitely like you can just keep on going back and you can go for it's it's but like you can such now, an now you can track infinity because you've got a timestamp right that everybody can you know trust is true or you know, can prove and i think timestamps will stick around like oh, i, I think, think so, that yeah. the roman calendar will have to stick around because it does add some other kind that's of what that's what that's what it is record, we're finally able to record time accurately accurately oh, we can finally a, record the time accurately a, Well said. Yeah, well said. Um, yeah, the, I don't know. This difficulty adjustment thing makes me think about, it's like this, uh, if it, is it because it, it allows it to like move with the users or it, it's, it's sort of like posturing yeah, as it, more, it's keep, more users it's come on and it, with the physical world. Like if you, if you, if you harness, rhythm, if you harness the way. energy of the sun into like a fucking giant nuclear fusion plant, you create so much energy with, you know, at one, one millionth of the cost then you, but a millionth more energy comes out of it. I mean, you could mine all the rest of the Bitcoin in a, you know, a week, you just have so many blocks they'd be going through every second. Um, but it, it, if you did that, no matter how much more energy you gained every two weeks, you would just get stopped again. It would just, uh, you'd have to, you, you, would, you match would have you. to add, you would have to be able to increase your capacity to work and to, to, um, burn energy to at the same rate every two weeks, you'd have to double it, you know, or not double it, but that yeah, is interesting. Like, you know, it's not really, I didn't thought about that. Like how, how how it basically matches matches up with like human ingenuity and human technology. Yeah. You'd be able to see like recessions and depressions by the, by the block times. So yeah, that's a contrast to the Roman calendar. Like you mentioned that roughly 
correlates with nature and the trips around the sun. Yeah. That's Dang, point man. rather records all those vagaries of humans. Okay. Anyway. Um, Stimmy, did you go? Yeah, I was going to ask you guys mm-hmm. a question. Oh, go, please. Kinda, oh, yeah. Yeah, adding to like, yeah, aspects about Bitcoin that are anchoring and uh, attractive. Um, what are some like recent developments that oh. have you excited or, yeah, whether it's it's product, protocol? Yes, yes. I, I, macro, I talked about this whatever. briefly. Uh, on the last episode that hasn't aired yet, but it's, um, I don't think that, I think people, I don't know how good of a job I'm doing of communicating what I'm, my thoughts on the process. Maybe I'm still, I maybe need to write them down, but the, the taproot assets protocol where they are, they are issuing, um, assets, stable coins, whatever, right on, on the blockchain. Um, and then they'll, they'll be, you'll be able to create assets based on UTXO sets and then timestamps. And then you can use those UTXOs. You can send them in the Lightning Network. You can settle them on chain. However you configure your UTXO set, however you efficient you become with the UTXOs, with transacting on chain, having offering you know the right amount of liquidity, but not too much, so that you don't have um, you know you're being wasteful. All this you're able to just kind of measure the value of UTXOs from, like I said, the, the chain and the, and the lightning network. So you have liquidity networks that, that people can create assets, whatever they, whatever part of the world they live in, whatever country, wherever they're nearest, the stable coin, the currency, um, probably the dollar, but yeah, it could be any asset from any community and they create liquidity networks on this. And, but it's all about managing your UTXOs. And so it's almost like, we're always looking at the, you know, the Bitcoin price or like this, these prices, I mean, maybe we're looking at it backwards. Like maybe it's going to be what helps the, the people who measure everything in dollars. It'll be so cheap and efficient to measure everything and how many UTXOs you're using at any given time and in which structure they're in. Cause those are the really scarce assets on chain that it, people will start pricing things in sats and UTXOs because They'll be like, how do how, how do I get enough dollars to get? I got to keep up with the price because you're finally letting anybody build software or protocols that let them have a measuring stick for how well they're, and efficiently or they're using their UTXOs at any given time, and so they can optimize it and get more Bitcoin. I don't know. So that's what I'm kind of like going crazy about thinking about lately. Nice. I'm I'm not going crazy about thinking about anything so much technologically speaking because I'm I'm definitely not a tech nerd and even everything that Dan just said I I didn't get you know I got probably about 40% of it but the um the thing that really sparks my interest it's been mentioned a couple times on a few podcasts and and on this one as well was uh was how AI will be using bitcoin to transact that that just sounds sort of like a a necessity uh because it's like what what other currency are these bots going to be you know interacting with and speaking themselves with um but then what does that mean for 
you know, what does it mean for the rest of us in, in a way? I, I don't know. I, I've, it's something that sparks my interest, but I haven't thought about it enough to really have any, I haven't really thought about anything to have, to have a long conversation about. Yeah. No, that's, that is interesting too. Like would the whitening create or facilitate a free market for compute? Yeah. That's yeah. We've, we've talked about that. On like this. more honest price signals. Yeah. Like yeah. if you had, if you could, um, essentially you could have a market for sats, uh, you know, per megabyte or sats per kilowatt of electricity or like this combination of, you know, bandwidth, uh, however you want to break it down into measurements, you know, maybe it's those assets, right. We talked about tapered assets, um, whatever, but, um, you you can just create payment channels. It doesn't have to, I guess, necessarily be lightning network because it doesn't have to be like a mesh network or like a routing network. You can just set up payment channels with your, you know, who you're selling compute to, who you're streaming Netflix from, who you're streaming the internet from. It's all happening in a stream of kilobytes or megawatts or whatever per second. Um, You can just have these payment channels and it's just fluid going back and forth all the time based on your... uh, the amount that you want to spend. Yeah, that'd be dope. Yeah. Demi, was there was there anything you wanted to touch on tonight before we uh, wrap it up? No, nah, man. Orange coin, good. <laughs> That's what if, matters. Uh, if somebody's looking for the essay later, what's the the Noster and the you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a master for sure. Um, trying to spend more time there, and can't remember my nip zero five. Uh, we'll, it's we'll put Stimmy it in the show notes, at yeah. stacker news. Yeah, no, I need to spend more time on there. It's it's pretty cool. There's a lot of cool stuff going on in Bitcoin, and I'm too dumb to keep up with it, but pretty cool to talk about with you guys. Hell yeah, man! Thanks for coming on. Always, man. Yeah, uh, thanks sure. very much. Sure, man. Glad we glad we linked up. Yeah, man. Thanks again for listening to the High Hash Rate podcast. You can find us on Twitter at High Hash Rate, or you can hit up Dan at Heartland Bitcoin H R T L N D Bitcoin, or myself Mike at Run Dance Bitcoin. That's all one word: Run Dance Bitcoin. If you're a fellow pleb or you just want to shoot the shit with two high Bitcoiners, reach out to us. Holy Toledo!